Good afternoon. Welcome back. We're in John chapter 5 and we'll be reading 19 to 26. So John's Gospel chapter 5. So Jesus said to them, truly, truly, I say to you, the son can do nothing of his own accord, but only what he sees the father doing. For whatever the father does, that the son does likewise. For the father loves the son and shows him all that he himself is doing and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel for as the father raises the dead and gives them life so also the son gives life to whom he will for the father judges no one but has given all judgment to the son that all may honor the son just as they honor the father whoever does not honor the son does not honor the father who sent him truly truly i say to you whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life. He does not come into judgment, but has passed from death to life. Truly, truly, I say to you, an hour is coming and is now here when the dead will hear the voice of the Son of God and those who hear will live. For as the Father has life in himself, so he has granted the Son also to have life in himself. And may the Lord bless the reading of his holy and inerrant word. The world says that Jesus is your way of being religious and that is fine. Just do not be judgmental. Do not be narrow minded. Do not insist that there are no other valid ways to be religious. It's okay if you want Jesus as your way to be religious. Somebody is going to say to you that is fine you have Jesus, I do not take that away from you. Believe whatever you want about Jesus. But why are you telling me I cannot believe whatever I want? That is the attitude and the zeitgeist of the world within we, which we live. But as Christians, we must insist that if you're to worship Almighty God rightly, you must worship him only through the person of his son, the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, the world's view sounds very reasonable. Look, believe what you believe. Do not get bent out of shape about what I believe. It sounds reasonable, except it allows for a form of belief that is tantamount to unbelief. To suggest that Jesus is a way to God or an expression of the divine, or simply one subjective approach to religious contentment or commitment, is to deny virtually everything that Jesus says about himself in the Gospels. So it is not, in fact, some neutral middle ground. You get to believe in Jesus, I get to believe whatever, and just set that aside. No, if what I believe about Jesus is true about Jesus, objectively true about him not just my subjective experience or my way of being religious but objectively true about Jesus then these two things are mutually exclusive if Jesus is who he says he is in John 5 then there is only one way to honor God and that is by honoring the son the Lord Jesus Christ look at verse 23 this is the heart of these two paragraphs and it is right in the middle of these 
two paragraphs. You read there the second sentence, whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. That is in the Bible. That is Jesus. Whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father who sent him. And by implication, you cannot truly be honouring the Father unless you honour the Son. That's in way, by way of illustration. Imagine 25 miners trapped in a mine. And the owner of the mine hears about this and sends his son to go and to rescue them. The son finds a way into the mine and arrives and says, Good news, I'm the owner's son. I know the way out of this mine. Follow me and you will be free. But the men reject him, mock him, beat him. They say, We're not following you. Now, what would you say about those miners? Either they didn't believe that this was the father's son, or they didn't respect the father, or they wouldn't be treating his son this way. But in both cases, they can't honour the father unless they honour the one whom the father has sent, unless they honour the son. But this passage says even more than that. It is not that we should honour Christ because he is the father's son. We must honour the son because he is equal with the father. And remember, this is following the Sabbath controversy in John 5, 17 to 18. Jesus answered them, my father is working until now and I am working. Immediately goes on to say that is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. Because not only was he breaking the Sabbath, but he was even calling God his own father, making himself equal with God. So he has been understood to be equal with God the Father. You have to remember that if a first century Jew knew anything about God, he knew there was only one God. They learned that the hard way going into exile in Babylon, coming back. If they're going to get one thing straight, it is this, that there is only one God. Our covenant God, Yahweh, Jehovah, one God. And Jesus is a Jew and his disciples are Jews. How can we have the Father and the Son, and the Father and Son are equals, and yet the Father is not the Son, and the Son is not the Father, and there is only one God? And we have not even gotten to the Holy Spirit yet. It is hard to exaggerate in how upsetting statements like this must have been to first century Jews. There is a reason this is what leads to the first death threat for Jesus in John's Gospel. This is why the Jews were seeking all the more to kill him. This is Jesus of Nazareth. They have not been singing songs to him. They have not been baptised in his name. This is Jesus, Mary's son, the carpenter's boy. And he dares to assert equality with God. No wonder humanly, worldly thinking, they wanted to kill him. Everything about their religion and about their worship was being called into question. So how can the God be one and the Father and Son be equal? How can Jesus say, whoever does not honour the Son does not honour the Father? Well, the answer is to be found in a series of four statements. And I don't mean four, I mean F-O-R. There are five four statements, F-O-R. Verse 19 is the first, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. The second is immediately following in verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows 
him all that he himself is doing. The third is in verse 21. For as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. And then the fourth is in verse 22. For the father judges no one, but has given all judgment to the son. And the fifth is in 26. For as the father has life in himself, so he has granted the son also to have life in himself. These five fours, F-O-R, are providing the basis for this statement about Jesus both that the Son is equal with the Father, and that if you, if you do not honour the Son, you do not honour the Father. Let us look at each one of these FOR statements. Number one, verse 19, for whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. Now you have to look at the sentence right before that in verse 19 to see that Jesus wants to make clear that the Son is not independent of the Father, he does not work independently of the Father. Verse 19 starts with, So Jesus said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, the Son can do nothing of his own accord. So this is necessary to establish, lest we think that the Son is a rival to the Father, because we just said he was making himself equal with the Father. Jesus wants to make it clear the Son does nothing of his own accord. There is, in other words, an order to the father-son relationship. The son does what he sees the father doing, not the other way round. You see that explicitly in verse 19, but only what he sees the father doing. The son can do nothing by himself. There is nothing according to his own initiative. Christ does nothing in, inter, nothing in independence from the father. The three persons of the Trinity have one essence, that is, one nature. Or that word essence, think of godness. They all share the same essence, the same godness, and as a part of that there is one will. This is important, so I do not apologise for giving a few theological sentences this afternoon and terms, because I know that's why you checked in to listen to for the will is a property of the nature not of the person so jesus christ when god man two natures two wills god trinity father son and holy spirit one nature one will now that that will play itself out in distinct actions from the father son and holy spirit but the Father, Son and Holy Spirit share one essence and one will. So the Son can say, I only do what I see the Father doing. I do not act in independence from the Father. He says whatever the Father does, the Son does also. That means the actions of the Father are co-extensive with the actions of the Son. Creation, resurrection, final judgment. These are prerogatives of the Father, and as we have seen and will see, they are also prerogatives of the Son. So the outworking of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, their operations externally are inseparable. Now that does not mean that the Father was born to Mary, or that the Spirit died on the cross. There are distinct applications to that one work, 
but that one work is indivisible. It is the Father to appoint, the Son to accomplish, the Holy Spirit to apply one work of redemption. So we are having here in these three, in these simple sentences from Jesus, some of the most complex, richest, deepest Trinitarian theology that will be later fleshed out by the church. For whatever the Father does, that the Son does likewise. So that is building a foundation why Jesus says, if you do not honour the Son, you do not honour the Father. The second FOR 4, verse 20, for the Father loves the Son and shows him all that he himself is doing. So again, the Son who's claiming this, this kind of equality with the Father of essence and, and, and purpose and rank and power, he is not a rival to the Father, he is not a threat to the Father, for the Father loves the Son. John's Gospel uses Son with reservation for Jesus. When it speaks of God's children, it uses a different Greek word, techna, to mean children. Other parts of the New Testament will use the same word, but may be distinguished between God's natural son and then we who are his adopted sons and daughters. Jesus is his only begotten son. The father demonstrates love by showing. The son demonstrates love by obeying. John 14 verse 31. But I do as the father has commanded me so that the world may know that I love the father. Rise, let us go from here. Now, we always have to be careful in making immediate application from the inner workings of the Trinity down to our life. I, I'm really clear about that. But there is something in, <coughs> excuse me, there is something in keeping with father-son relationship. The father's love is not in obeying the son, but in showing, in revealing to him. And the son's love to the father is in his obedience as the son, the incarnate God-man on earth always submitted himself to the father john 5 verse 20 and greater works than these will he show him so that you may marvel what are the greater works or the greater works of the things that are yet to be described in verses 21 22 and 23 the raising of the dead the exercising of judgment that even these divine prerogatives the father is going to share and reveal to the son so whatever the father does, the son does, that is first. Second thing, the father loves the son and shows him all things. And thirdly, the third FOR in verse 21, for as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. Think of what Jesus is saying. The father, God the father, what does he do? He raises the dead and gives them life. This was understood to be the sole prerogative of God to call forth resurrection. Second King, Kings 5 verse 7, when the king of Israel read the letter, he tore his clothes and said, am I God to kill and to make alive? No, this is what God does. One of the rabbis claimed that there were three keys that remained in God's hand and were not entrusted to man. The key of rain, the key of the womb, and the key of resurrection. So bringing to life, imparting life to the dead, was understood solely to be God's prerogative. Yet he says here, as the father raises the dead and gives them life, so also the son gives life to whom he will. 
Is that not amazing? Now we're used to that, we hear that, but you have to think about how that would have been scandalous at the time. The boy who grew up among them comes from Nazareth. The boy who looks just like you. And he does not have a halo. He does not have a glow. He looks just like you. And he starts teaching about his own sonship. And that the father will give the son the power to raise people from the dead. Jesus was often scandalising the Jews around him. Both in claiming that he had the authority to forgive sins. Which only God could do. But now in saying he has the freedom to bring the dead back to life. Well who does that? Only God. Fourthly. FOR. Verse 22. For the father judges no one. But has given all judgment to the son. This is the fourth bit of this foundation. This built. Remember. Just remember the purpose of why we're doing this. We're built. Jesus is building the case. Why the son and the father are, are equal. And why you cannot honour the father. Without honouring the son. Because the father has given judgment. To the son. I want to answer a conundrum. That may be in your mind. John 3 verse 17. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world. But in order that the world might be saved through him. So we read that the son wasn't sent into the world to condemn the world. But in chapter 5 we read the son does the judging. So is there a either or? Which is it? Well the word can be used in a broad sense or a narrow sense. In chapter 5, to judge is to evaluate, to be discriminated. It includes the concept of condemnation, as we will look at more next time. But it isn't the blank condemnation of chapter 3. It is a broader sort of discriminating evaluation. The other thing to keep in mind is that John 3.17 is talking explicitly about the Son's purpose in coming. And that is true. See, God said, I love the world, so I send my son that he may die for sinners in the world. That was Christ's purpose in coming. But that does not exclude, that is not to say when Christ comes again, he will not come as the judge. He will, as the creed says, judge the living and the dead. Now think about that. If this is really true, that the father has given to the son the authority to judge, verse 22, if that is true, then all notions of, of, of religious pluralism must be false. So if you say, like we opened with, the world's view, go ahead and believe whatever you want to believe about Jesus. Just don't insist, insist that other people need to believe in Jesus. What you really mean is believe whatever you want to believe about Jesus as long as you don't believe it is true. Objectively true. Because the Father has entrusted to the Son all judgment. He is the judge. You know, sometimes people say, even people who profess to be Christian, I love the Jesus of the Sermon of the Mount. That is what I mean about Christianity. The Jesus who says, turn the other cheek. The Jesus who gives great commands about getting lust out of your heart, about not being angry with your brother. Go in the extra mile. I love the Jesus of the Sermon of the Mount. I often wonder whether those people have ever read the Sermon on the Mount. Because do you see the audacious claims that Jesus makes in the Sermon on the Mount? Jesus has the audacity to put himself at the centre of the Sermon. 
He has a temerity to say that unless you build the foundation on his words, your house will topple over. He has the audacity to say that there will be people on the last day who will say, Lord, Lord. And Jesus, Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew you. Jesus will say, depart from me. I never knew, knew you. Jesus is not just giving a nice sounding sermon about how to be nice people in the world. No, he puts himself at the centre of the sermon. So much so that on the last day he will say to some, depart. Jesus is putting himself on the throne of judgment so we have no place to say, I will just take that side of Jesus. By all, we must take the Jesus of the Sermon of the Mount, but we must take all of him. John 5 tells us in no uncertain terms, and we'll see more going forward, that you, you and I will stand before the Son and give an account of what you did with your knowledge of the Son. Not simply, did you go to church, or did you stay out of trouble, or did you do your best to be a good person? But we will all stand before Jesus Christ of Nazareth, the Son of God, and we will have to answer the question, what did you do with me, the Son? The Father governs the world in the person of the Son. He exercises dominion by the hand of the Son. He grants the Son the place of highest privilege. In Genesis 18, will not the judge of all the earth do right? And we see the Son is entrusted with judgment. The fifth, F-O-R, verse 26, for as the Father has life, in himself so he has granted the son also to have life in himself this would be a great verse to memorize it has massive implication what does it mean this phrase life in himself that means the life that god has because he is god the life that is self-existent the life that is before creation the life that is dependent on no one and contingent on nothing the life in himself. The father has this life and Jesus says the son also has this life. And notice the word there, it is an important word. So he has granted the son also to have life in himself. Augustine referred to this as the eternal grant. It is not that the son did not have life, but the father communicates to the son this sonship in relationship to the father. The son is the only begotten Son of the Father, that from eternity past, the Son, the Father, communicates this essence to the Son as the Son. The Son is God from himself, although not the Son from himself. A way to say that is that the Son is God of himself with respect to his nature and his essence, but not with respect to his person, eternally generated from the father not with a beginning there is no beginning that is why it is an internal generation there is a greek word autotheos theos like theology theos meaning god auto can mean by itself so autotheos there is a debate in theology about whether the son is autotheos is god of himself and one of the things that Arminius got wrong among, among several was in denying that the Son 
was autotheos, that the Son has self-existence in himself. So this phrase in verse 26 is absolutely pregnant with meaning. Look at what Jesus is doing. Jesus has both clarified the charge in verse 18 and reaffirmed it. So on the one hand, he is making clear that he he is not another God. He is not independent in that sense. He is not a second God. He is not God the second, as Mormon theologians will refer to the Son. But he does what the Father does, and so ought to receive what the Father receives, honour and glory. So all of that there is, the Son has life in himself. But it is granted to him from the Father. If you want to say what verse gets us deep into the mystery of the Trinity, it's a verse like John 5, 26. Speaking of the distinction of the persons and that the Father grants this to the Son and that there is an order and yet the absolute equality and that the Son too, like the Father, has this left in himself, of himself, because he is the self existent one which means in closing we shall never find the true god except in and through christ or to use the language of psalm 2 we shall never worship the father rightly except by kissing the son 1 john 2 verse 23 no one who denies the son has the father whoever confesses the son has the father also so let me finish with this question if you got do you get lost in all the trinitarian metaphysics let me bring it down to this and this is where we started i said that our world's understanding of christianity is that jesus is just your way of being religious but it is a fair question for you as well is jesus just your way of being religious Or do you understand who Christ is? And if he is all that we see here in John 5, how could he possibly just be a minor appendage to your otherwise full life? How could you be happy with forsaking gathering together to worship him? Samuel Zwema, who was called the Apostle to Islam, his surname is spelt Z-W-E-M-E-R. He lived from 1867 to 1952. He was a missionary to the Muslim world, later a professor. This is what he writes, talking about the difference between Islam and Christianity. He says, Christians gladly affirm the strength of theism, that is, belief in a God. We assert as strongly as do all Muslims that there is only one God. But because there is only one God, there can only be one gospel and one Christ. He is the way, the truth and the life, not Mohammed. That is the issue that cannot be avoided. The only Christianity that has a missionary message for the Muslim world is this vital Christianity. It is the only Christianity that can meet the deepest need of Muslims. Our love for them is only increased by our intolerance for their rejection of the Christ. We cannot bear it. It pains us. The day is coming when many will confess him in the words of a recent Muslim convert to a Christian woman visiting her who said, I see now 
that the center of your religion is Christ and I want to love and serve him. So that is my question for you, dear listener. Can you say that the center of your faith is Christ? What is your Christ like? What is your Jesus like? Is it just a default spirituality? Is it what you're used to? Is it what you inherited? Is it what your parents brought you up to? Is that all? Then Jesus is simply your way of being religious. Would you say in the quote that I just quoted, that when your friends and neighbours reject Christ, it pains you? It pains you when your friends say, why can't you let me believe what I believe? It hurts you. You ought to say, because it pains me to see the son of the father not receive the honour that is due his name. I don't apologise for all the theological truth that we have looked at this afternoon, because it should pain us that the son does not receive the honour that is due his name. What is your Jesus like? Is Jesus just your default way to be religious? Or is he the only begotten son of the father, loved by the father, one in essence with the father, equal in power, rank and glory with the father, the one who does what the father does, who judges for the father, who gives life from the father and the one who exists of himself like the father, distinct from the father, but never in his will or his actions independent from the father. Do you know that Jesus? John Calvin wrote about Muslims and Jews in his day. They do indeed adorn with beautiful and magnificent titles the God whom they worship. But we ought to remember that the name of God, when it is separated from Christ, is nothing else than a vain imagination. I repeat that last line. When the name of God is separated from Christ, is nothing else than a vain imagination. So the world says it seems the same with a different name. And I hope, brothers and sisters, that you know it is not the same. Because there is only one name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. It is the name of Jesus, the Christ, the only begotten Son of the Father.